Do you have a story you love telling about your life? You know the type of story that comes up over and over again? You've mastered telling this story because you've told it so many times. You know, it's the type of story that somebody responds with, this could only happen to you. Or, wow, I I know you a lot better now. I have a couple stories like that in my life. One is the story about how when we were growing up, my brother Aaron threw me down the stairs in a suitcase. (laughs) That happened. That's a true story. That explains some things, doesn't it? There's the story of how I met my wife, Abby. My roommate, Kyle, liked her. She shut him down. Spoiler alert, it ends with me and Abby getting married. I still talk to Kyle, though. There's the story of how when my son Asher was three, he locked the two of us in a room, and we had to MacGyver our way out, mostly so I didn't have to tell Abby that I had let our son lock us in a room. People love telling stories, and people love hearing stories. Our stories are a big part of who we are. And today, as we continue our series called Share, we're talking about what it looks like to share your story. How to share your life and how it relates to your relationship with Jesus. So there's the big idea today. I want to make sure you remember it. Your story matters to God. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, your story matters to God. Now, in your life groups this week, you're going to learn more about how. How to share your own specific story. You'll have the opportunity to talk more in depth and think about how you can craft that story. But as you listen to the stories that you hear shared today, there's an easy to remember, it's a basic structure. It goes like this, before during, and after. It's as simple as that. Before you knew Jesus, during that interaction with Jesus, and after that interaction with Jesus. It's as simple as that. Now, instead of me talking to you about sharing your story, I thought it might be good for you to hear a story being shared. So I want to invite my friend Mike out here. So he can share his story. Now, usually when you share your story, you're not standing on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank and you. and what, we, what we think about is, hey, how do we share a story in our living room? Or how do we share a story in a, a car or maybe a coffee shop or something like that? So, so we're going to kind of get this all set up. We want to make it feel as much like a coffee shop in here as we can. <laughs> All right, here we go. There you go. And we can't have a coffee shop without a pumpkin spice latte, so we've got one of those coming. Here we go. Thank you, sir. There it is. Dante, appreciate that. Make sure you get it placed right. All right. A little to the right. Okay, good. All right, very good. That's going to drive me crazy, so we'll put that right there. Okay. Well, I tell you what, this is what it sounds like in a coffee shop, isn't it? But so we uh, don't have to talk like this the whole time. Maybe we we can cut that out. Ooh, that feels so much better, doesn't it? (laughs) That is what a Starbucks is like. It really is. Well, hey, Mike, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for joining us. I had the opportunity. I've heard your story several times Mm -hmm. now, and I'm really excited about you sharing it today. And we're going to use that same structure, right? That the before, during, and after structure. So I'll just ask you, like, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like before Jesus? Absolutely. And I'm going to sip on my pumpkin. Absolutely. I think I need to take a little sip of that myself. What'd you get? Uh, 
Carmel uh, Macchiato. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All these people looking at us, not very well, happy about it. Yeah, okay. So, uh, good morning, everyone. I uh, was really blessed in starting out that uh, growing up, my parents, my mom in particular, really uh, had us going to church early on, and, and things were interesting growing up in the beginning. Uh, there was a time, uh, 12, 13, mom kind of gave me a choice to whether or not I wanted to stay at home or go to church, and being the good kid that I was, I chose to stay at home. So. Uh, <laughs> that went on, and you know, I still knew uh, my relationship with God, and and uh, going through uh, my teenage years into high school, I kind of got a little bit rebellious, kind of getting out there trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I didn't really know how to get along with people. We grew up, I grew up out in a little town called Ogleville, Indiana, and uh, we grew up with bicycles and mini bikes and we had a blast all the time. It was just awesome. But, uh, you know, growing up in uh, my teenage years, I really didn't have a, a good uh, coping skill as far as getting along with figuring out problems good and this and that. So I kind of got, I kind of uh, ostracized myself, really. Yeah. And uh, so I decided that while in high school, uh, my senior year, I figured I'd join the Army. And I was going to join the Army and see the world. And I was really tired of Mom and Dad telling me what to do, you know? So So you joined the Army. So I joined the Army, let somebody else tell me. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't think it through at all, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't. It was something else. But so uh, I graduated high school, and right after I graduated high school, uh, it was about like two weeks before I was going into service, my high school girlfriend told me she was two months pregnant, and uh, I wanted to get married anyway, but I wanted to go join the Army and grow up a little bit and come on with some money in my pocket. So I ended up uh, graduating high school, joining the Army. I got married and had a kid on the way. And you were 18 years old. 18 years old, and I was leaving home for the first time. And to be honest with you, it was just, I was a wreck. It was a mess. And I had no idea. You know, everybody always said that the young marriages don't work out and this and that. And I said, I'll show you, I'll show you, you know. And I went, uh, got into service. I went over to uh, Germany for 18 months. And then I came back home for the last 14. I was in for three years, uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne. So, you know, during my uh, stint in the Army, uh, I still struggled with the fact of dealing with problems or getting along with people and this and that. And uh, I started to use alcohol as a way of not only escape or this or that, but just to try to get along, get a conversation started, you know, because. I was one of those guys who could be alone in a crowd, and uh, I wanted to be a part of, just didn't know how. So that, uh, I started depending on that, and I used that as a crutch to get me through. And when I graduated, or not graduated, but when I got out of the service, uh, it wasn't long after I got out of the service, I ended up getting divorced because it didn't work out, you know? And How old were you there? I was 21. Just... Uh, I was uh, 21 and still didn't know 
really what was going on. Just a young, a kid trying to be a man, you know, and I struggled. And really, uh, the alcohol got to be a problem in my life, and I got in some trouble, and uh, I got sent to an ILP program, which is an intensive outpatient program, and they introduced me to AA. So, so how long did that take? I mean, that journey, you came back at 21, how long? Yeah, that was 25 years. And to be honest with you, I didn't tell you about this, but when I got divorced, I was one of the kind of people that didn't want to take responsibility for stuff that happened. So I always blamed it on somebody else. And I blamed it on my ex-wife, and I blamed it on God. I was thinking, man, I did all this and that, and you didn't let things happen for me. And so I'll just take care of business on my own from now on. And that that deal there between that time and the time I got in trouble, it was about 25 years old. Mike was running on self-will, you know, and it was a struggle. I mean, I got married a couple more times, couldn't have a relationship. It was just hard because one thing, I guess I was too demanding and I wasn't ready for things. And, you know, I, I got to find that out when I got introduced to AA. Uh, I struggled in the beginning with dealing with the fact that I had a problem with alcohol because I didn't want that. But I did find out. And when I found out, it changed my life forever. And I've got to build a, a relationship with something greater than myself. And not long into AA, AA led me back to God. Celebrate Recovery is absolutely wonderful, man, and it is where everything started to begin with. So I started building my relationship back again with Christ, and uh, be honest with you, all that time I tried, tried to tell him to stay away, I still knew he was there, but... Uh, so this is kind of your your during portion, yeah. we just talked about before, that was mm-hmm. kind of a long journey, you got into some trouble, yeah. got into AA and Celebrate Recovery. Right. And, and so now you're going, okay, I'm interacting with Jesus. I kind of knew he was there, but mm-hmm. um, so talk to me a little bit about what, what changed. I mean, what, what caused that? Well, the, the big thing I found out, and this is finding out about working those steps in the program, is the fact that I have to turn things over. And I had to come to believe in something greater than myself. Um, I'm not the man. I'm not the one that makes the world go round, you know, and... With that realization and surrendering solely, I had uh, a chance to come to terms with the fact that I actually have a problem. And that first, uh, first mo- uh, well, that being first is the, the beginning of my recovery. And with that recovery, Christ jumped right in and said, hey, here, I got your back. And this is the person that I wanted to be helping me all, all along. This. Uh, faith in something greater than myself, knowing that he's got my back, knowing that he loves me, knowing that he wants me to be free, you know, uh, happy, joyous, prosperous, you know, the whole, the whole deal. And you know what? He gave it to me. He gave so it to me. So that's your after. So tell, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, what's what's so, life like now? You know, uh, life today is just uh, amazing. Sometimes I'll just talk to somebody back here in the back and I get excited because I wonder what God's got in store for me next, you know, and it's a really good thing. But I went from just doing the standard run around, trying to take care of myself, to to getting back into a, a program that teaches me who and what I am, and what my part is as far as my relationship with God. And then I can learn how to not only work to my problems, but I can depend on Him for everything. I surrender. 
You know, one of the things they say is that when I surrender, uh, and I surrender fully, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually get to go to the winning side, you know. So I want to be a winner today, all the way out. And God's done that for me. He really has. So I've been blessed with uh, being able to get a good job. Uh, I've been blessed with trying to be the best husband I can be to my wife, the best father I can be to my kids. And I've built my relationship back up with my kids. And and there was a lot of times and a lot of things that I did before that wasn't really the greatest thing in the world, you know? So today I've got an actual relationship with my kids and I got something with my grandkids. And you know, if, if I can make it to the 29th of this month, I'll have 16 years of sobriety. <laughs> and that's all because of God. And, and you know, I can't say enough about how, how much that relationship with Jesus is and the feeling and the knowing that I, I got my back covered. That just means more than anything to me. Because I know when he's got my back, he's got your back too. And we do this thing together. So our, our life group, you know, AA, Celebrate Recovery, uh, being together is, is awesome. Absolutely wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. One of the things I appreciate about every time I've heard your story, every single time, he has said, it's not really about me. It's about what God is doing. You've pointed people towards Jesus. You've reminded me of that. I'm very thankful that you were brave enough to come up here and, and sit down next to me, let alone share your story. Well, hey. So thank you so hey. much, Mike. Thank I appreciate you. that. We thank Mike. I right. Well, you do that. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take my coffee. I was like, you better. I, that, that's incredible. People have stories like that. Now, Celebrate Recovery meets here every Thursday. You can check your bulletin out for details about that. There are folks who gather together who, who do what Mike has talked about, support each other, talk about where they are and what's going on in their lives. I'm thankful for Mike, and I think his story reinforces the point, your story matters to God. This story you just heard points people directly at Jesus. And there are examples of people sharing their stories in this church. There are examples of people sharing their stories in the Bible, just like the one shared with you. And today we're going to dig into a great example of sharing your story. It uses that same structure before, during, after. It's in Acts 26, and it's when Paul had the opportunity to share his story with some really important people. Now here's some context to really appreciate what's going on in Paul's life. Now, Paul is in Jerusalem. He goes to church, to temple, and started teaching about Jesus. Now, people who didn't like Paul or what he was saying about Jesus accused him of desecrating the temple, doing bad things in the wrong place. There was a riot even, and people tried to kill Paul. Now, Paul was okay because of a guy named Claudius. Claudius saved Paul's life. He tried to protect Paul and actually get his rights as a Roman citizen. Paul had two really important rights to understand. The first is he had the right to know what he was being accused of. And the second is he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And both of those things are really important. So Paul is there. He's going on trial about Jesus, but no one really knew 
what he was being accused of. Now there's another plot to kill Paul during his trial. That must have been one sermon to get two death threats on. And eventually Paul came before a guy named Festus. So to update, we have Claudius and Festus. The Bible has the best names. You can't convince me otherwise. Now, Paul became for this leader, Festus, and Festus couldn't figure out what to do with Paul either. Festus is trying to identify what Paul is being charged with specifically so that they can appeal to Caesar. And Caesar's the most powerful person in the world at this point. So there they are, a group of people who've gathered together. They're the movers and the shakers in the Roman world in this region, and they're trying to figure stuff out. And there was also a guy named a guy there named King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is intense. You need to know about this guy. So this is the family that King Agrippa comes from. King Agrippa's great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus as a baby. King Agrippa's grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded. His father killed another person who taught about Jesus, James. King Agrippa is kind of like the kingpin of a mob family. You know, He would have had his own hit show on HBO, The Agrippas. He would not have received Paul warmly. And that's who Paul is standing before when he starts talking. These important people, Festus and King Agrippa. And Paul starts talking about what brought them together and he quickly gets down to telling his story. And he uses that structure before, during, after. So let's take a look at Acts 26, 9-11. through This is Paul's before. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So this is his before section where he talks about who he was before interacting with Jesus. And he's really talking about his life growing up. Easy enough, right? He was a Pharisee, a religious teacher of the day. He was absolutely convinced that this Jesus guy was up to absolutely no good. He would put all his energy into opposing Jesus and his teachings. That included putting Christians in jail, sentencing them to death, persecuting them. That's a pretty intense before story. But he's not done. He's not even close. He, he starts to get into the during part of how he came to know Jesus. So he tells this story that he was on his way to a place called Damascus to persecute Christians. And suddenly, there is this big blinding light. And the light asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responded. This is what he said. This is verse 15. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. That just means anyone who wasn't a Jewish 
faith-filled person at the time, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. That is quite a come-to-Jesus moment. I mean, to be clear, my story doesn't include blinding white light or hearing directly from God audibly. Maybe yours does. But Jesus literally blinds Paul to get his attention. And he tells him directly, here's what I want you to do. Follow me and tell other people about me. Paul, before wanted to hurt Christians, during, stopped him in his tracks. I've wanted that type of clarity, haven't you? A stop in your tracks moment, a blinding clarity of who God is and what He wants you to do. I think that's one of the amazing parts of our stories. We all actually have those moments, whether it feels blinding to us or not. We all have a moment or many moments where we interact with Jesus, where we start to understand, where we start to believe. So Paul interacts with Jesus. So what happens after his encounter with Jesus? This is how Paul continues to tell the story. Verse 19, And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. Before he persecuted Christians, during Paul heard directly from Jesus to follow him and to tell other people about Jesus after he obeyed. I think that story is incredible. But can I tell you something? I think Mike's story is pretty incredible too. And I think if you're following Jesus, you've got a story to tell that's just as incredible. Maybe it doesn't include a vision directly from Jesus, but it's still incredible. So to wrap up our time together, I want to talk through four takeaways about sharing your story. Just four things to remember. Here's the first. Your story is unique. You're the only person who has your story. It's unique to you. God created you, and each and every day, you're the only one who can live your life. No one else can tell your story. Your story is a unique opportunity to point people to our unique Savior. I was talking to my wife, Abby, about her story, and she told me at times she struggles telling it because it doesn't seem that dramatic or sensational like Paul's. Maybe your story is similar. I want to encourage you, just because your story doesn't seem sensational doesn't mean it's not. It is important, and it is unique. Your story matters to God, and I believe God can use each of our stories, no matter what they are, to help engage people with this truth about Jesus. Your story matters to God because you matter to God. It's as simple as that. Your story is unique. Now here's number two. Your story has power. Stories are the way we communicate, right? Think about the stories you tell. You still remember movies you watched when you were a kid. Maybe that commercial from 1989 from Bounty, and you're like, it is fresh. I was five, by the way, at that time. So, We connect to stories in a different way than facts or figures or statistics or information. And stories provoke a response in us. 
These two guys, Festus and King Agrippa, they had responses to what Paul said too. Here's Festus's response in verse 24. Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. I think that response is hilarious. Because if we heard, if you and I were having coffee and we heard somebody say, hey, so I was walking down this road and there's this blinding light and then I heard directly from Jesus, I would be like, you crazy. King Agrippa said in verse 28, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? So King Agrippa didn't respond well, it seems, but he responded, he listened, and not in a way that was harmful to Paul. Both strong responses, but hear this, Paul's story can't be ignored because if what he said is true, if what we say in our stories are true, that Jesus really makes that big of an impact, then it changes everything. So yeah, it evokes some strong responses, and he had the opportunity to engage powerful people about an all-powerful God just like Mike's story, points us directly at Jesus. Your story is engaging. It draws people in. So your story is unique. Your story has power. Number three, your story builds relationship. Now your story isn't only about you. Your story is also about those you're interacting with, the people you're sharing your story with. Now, people who share a similar story with you can find solidarity in your story. People who have a different story can learn from your perspective. People who know Jesus can be encouraged by your story. People who don't know Jesus can be challenged by your story. Your story helps build relationship. I know some of the best times I've had in our life group are when we're sharing our stories because we feel known. We feel like we belong. Now when you're interacting with people and sharing your story, the reason you're doing it is for their benefit. So to help you out, there are three cautions that we have that we want to just remind you of when you're sharing your story. Number one, be careful with length. Have you ever been being told a story when you're like, will this guy just stop? You're thinking that now, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean when you're at Thanksgiving and then, you know, Uncle Leo kind of corners you and he starts talking about his doctor appointment in excruciating detail, you know, and you're like, you could have used 20 words, but you used 3,000 words. Thank you. That's what we're talking about. Just think about how long you've been talking. If they're falling asleep, that's not a good sign. Just pay attention. Really think about how they're receiving your story. Be careful with length. Number two, be cautious with language. So using a bunch of religious sounding words just to sound smart or telling a story about dumping out your Cheetos and then you see an angel in the Cheetos, you know, stuff like that. That can be a quick turnoff. So be careful with what you say and how you say it. That's all. And maybe when you've thought about sharing your story, you get intimidated because you go, I don't have the words. And hear me, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have things all figured out. You can use normal language and just tell people about your experience and your story. And if somebody asks you a hard question, it's okay to say, I don't know. But I do know Jesus, and I'll find out the answer to that question for you. Be careful with length. 
length, be cautious about language, and be consistent with love. That's the third one. Be consistent with love. Here's another way of saying that. Treat them how you would want to be treated. You're sharing their story, not just to hear yourself talk. Your story, because it's so unique and because it's so powerful, can build these relationships. People can relate to our stories. Here's the fourth thing I want to help you remember about sharing your story. Your story honors Jesus. Did you know that God asks us to specifically share our stories? This is 1 Peter 3, 15-16. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Share your story. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ Every time we tell someone about our hope in Jesus, we honor Jesus. Sharing your story can be scary. It requires us to have faith. And when we remember and share our story and how Jesus impacts us, it helps us to respond to who He is. It helps honor Jesus. See, your story matters to God because it's actually His story in the first place. He created you. His story intertwines with our stories. And when we tell our story, we're actually telling a small part of His story. Our stories honor Jesus. Now there's one more story that I want to share with you. It's a quick one, don't worry. This is another story that matters to God. We read it in John 9. Jesus meets a blind man. The blind man has been blind since he was born. He only remembers being blind. And in this blind man's interaction with Jesus, Jesus heals him. Can you imagine seeing for the first time? And when the religious teachers of the day hear about it, which they do, they start questioning the blind man about Jesus. They say, who is this guy? Is he a prophet? Is he a healer? Is he a sinner? Here's the blind man's response. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the blind man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. This man's story is unique. No one has a story like it. His story is powerful. It's actually miraculous. He went from blind to being able to see, and you bet it built relationships. It was engaging. People wanted to hear it. It wasn't too long. It's a sentence. Everyone could understand it, and his story honored Jesus. He didn't know all the answers. He knew who he was before Jesus, blind. He knew that during his interaction with Jesus, he was able to see, and after Jesus, the blind man's life had been changed forever. Before, during, after. And just like Mike, just like Paul, just like the blind man, Your story matters to God. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am thankful today that You are the author of our stories. That it's really You that puts the pen to paper. It really is You who is writing 
our before, during, and after story. And our thankfulness is because Jesus changes that story for us. If we were writing it on our own, if I was writing it on my own, it would be completely different. And not full of your love, not full of your grace, not full of your strength, your hope, your peace. So we thank you that we have that opportunity to tell our stories, which is really sharing your story. And as we leave this place today, my prayer is that we remember that our stories matter to you. They matter to you more than we can possibly imagine. They matter to you more than they matter to us. And I am thankful that Jesus is the end of our stories. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.